I knew it. Another Heard at Media production. Welcome to Conversations with Captain Sandy and my very dear friend, Randy Gold, who um, we have had a wonderful journey for over 10 years together in friendship and in recovery. And uh, Randy and I did a live show not too long ago, about a year ago, here in Denver. And we talked about, I came from the bottom and Randy came from the top of her career and I had no career and how... um, addiction can take it all away from you. So uh, Randy's, we talked about meeting in the middle, which was really cool. And I just wanted uh, listeners to know that there is a solution. And I wanted Randy to share her story because I think for executives and CEOs of companies who also struggle with addiction could learn a lot from Randy Gold. So please welcome my dear friend, Randy Gold. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Sandy, and thank you for everyone that's listening uh, who is either sick and suffering or struggling or certainly knows somebody that is sick and suffering. And, you know, Sandy and I know each other through recovery, through the blessing of of recovery. And, you know, we always struggled, I I think, in, you know, some of the shame of it because, um, you know, there's with, with our stories, there's certainly, um, although they meet in different levels, anybody who struggled with addiction usually has some sort of shame. And, you know, when I met Sandy in recovery, it was amazing because I had what I thought was everything and I lost everything. So, you know, it's, um, it's been a blessing. Um, I think one of the things that for me that I learned early on, Sandy, as you know, is, you know, there's three things I take away. It's for, you know, for me, it was about the pain, you know, um, allow pain to visit, allow it to teach you something, but don't allow it to overstay. And, you know, as a child, I had a lot of trauma um, un- that was undealt with. I lost six of the most important people in my life before I was 20 years old, whether it was death, divorce, you know, addiction, whatever it was. And I was also sexually abused. So I didn't know how to trust anyone. I didn't um, really have faith in anyone. Uh, And so I was kind of lost. And, you know, I did have a wonderful mom and she passed away at a very, very young age. And, you know, made the mistake of listening to her say, Randy, I will never leave you. And I held on to those words. So when she passed away, suddenly a, a brain aneurysm, I really thought I was cursed. I thought that, you know, how could that happen? And why did this happen? And why is everybody leaving that I love? And, you know, so at 20 years old, I was just lost. And at 20, if you, if you're 20 and you're listening and you look at your friends, maybe it's different now, but back then it was, you know, if they asked if I was okay, you know, I was, and if I had a sad face on, I looked, I wasn't okay. I wasn't accepted. They don't, because they don't know how to deal at 20, right? So I learned to not tell the truth, unfortunately, because if I said I was okay, then I was accepted in the group. So I began to learn early on that, you know, uh, people please and say what people want to hear and you'll be accepted. But that was just a really bad mistake. And um, so, you know, it's, I just, I struggled with that. And, but what I did find early on, 
with alcohol. And at these parties, when you're younger, you know, alcohol was present, right? San. So, you know, if you had it, if I had a drink, I felt a little more like it took the, you know, and for, for a minute there, or even more than a minute, the pain of loss left. And that is where I believe my addiction started. I believe that my dependency for being accepted, my dependency for something that would make me feel good that's outside of myself began when I put the chemical in my body to calm me down. And instead of seeking therapy or understanding, you know, the power of AA or what a sponsor was, I did the best I could. I did the best I could. So, but I did as you know, always want to be a sports anchor. <laughs> so I had this, um, I had this dream of being like Robin Roberts before Robin Roberts was, you know, even great. And so I love sports. I grew up like a, you know, tomboy twin brother, you know, like older brother. And so I was fascinated with news and sports. And so I figured if that was another thing, if I could one day be a sports person or a sports anchor, or something in news and something big and famous that all the pain would go away. Right. Um, so I pursued that dream actually, you know, hiding the alcohol and, you know, making some new friends. Cause my friends that I had grown up with didn't have a deal. And eventually I lost them, you know, along the way of my disease. Um, I lost people because people don't know how to deal with, um, with addiction. And I kept my work life separate from my, uh, personal life. So I was able to hide the addiction, which a lot of people um, can relate to um, until I couldn't. So for 20 years, I spent, you know, uh, 11 of those 20 some odd years uh, or more diving into the field of television, starting from the bottom, you know, learning research, learning ratings, learning everywhere to get to the top, 11 promotions in 18 years and blah, 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 you know, like the ego, the ego, everything felt good that way. And I was onto something and, you know, I got into, you know, being in television and uh, that was great. But I remember at the peak of the height of my success, um, career-wise was, you know, being one of the youngest female general managers in the country at a broadcast station. And I don't say that lightly because that is something that even today, 12 years sober, I will always be proud of. Um, and you worked hard. It wasn't like you, you know, even in through all of that, you were going through, you worked hard to get to where you oh, are. Yeah. So your work ethic was always, always. there. Always, always, yes. always, always. I mean, I, that is the thing. I was a, a weekend warrior, you know, I was like, you know, work, 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 work. And then the problem is when I had free time, which most normies would take that time to do something fun. I was in my head about the pain. I could literally hear my mom seizing from the brain aneurysm. Anytime I wasn't sober saying, Randy, help me because those were her final words. Unfortunately, I was those are the last words I heard her say. And so that guilt of not being able to help her, I'm not God, but back then I thought I could, stayed with me when I wasn't drinking. So the work was great. The work, work, work. You're right. And thank you for saying that because, you know me, I'm not good at doing that for myself. But I did work very hard and I did, you know, quote, make it to the top of, of uh, what I thought was the top of the, the executive level of a broadcast station. Um, and you know, my family did warn me that, you know, 
this may catch up to you, your, your pain and all of this, if you don't deal with it. And, um, but I remember reading the, the, the cover of, uh, of a, a big news article, you know, in the Boston Globe, you know, citing that I was, you know, this youngest female GM in the country. And, um, and it was a wonderful accolade to have. And, you know, I, I, I got the, got the, uh, Boston Globe, I brought it back to my roommate. I read it and I thought, why is the pain still there? Like why I, I made it, I made it where I wanted to go, but why is the pain still there? And then I knew I was in trouble. I, mean, I probably shouldn't have known along the way. There's many things I don't need to get into because my yeah, journey with the road signs. But yeah. Hiding it from, from work was um, not because I was trying to deceive anyone, but because I was very proud of my job and didn't want to hurt anybody else. Uh, but the pain didn't go away. So I knew I was going to have to keep medicating. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, here's where we talk about making it, you know, to the top, right, to where I needed to be. I worked all the way up, made it there. I was, you know, uh, very young um, to be in that position. I think I was 38 at the time when I got when I was all the way at the top. And. And that is when, unfortunately, I was, um, God did for me what I could not do for myself. You know, I got off a plane in, um, in Boston, in Logan Airport, and I was not in a good space. I had been crying. I think I told people on the plane my mom had just died. It sounds insane to anybody that's listening. And I do worry about you know, telling it all over because I don't want but it is the truth it's your what is in the frontal cortex of my brain was that pain that just was still there even though it happened now randy millions of people are going through the same thing just different scenarios so you're sharing this story is going to help a lot of people yeah because your path from climbing and working hard to get to the top while having your addiction and then being slammed on the ground because as we know, it it's, you know, it's not, it knows no bounds. It's not racist. It doesn't, <sighs> you know, like addiction grabs anyone. Yeah. And I, and I did, my family did try to, you know, along the way, because I did see them in my personal life that the little family I had, I'd left and, you know, now I have millions more because of, um, you know, recovery and your chosen family and so forth. And, but, you know, I just, um, they tried to warn me that this would catch up to me and coming out of Logan airport, I was not in a good space. And I just remember seeing these um, state troopers and I had, you know, it was after nine 11 and um, I thought I saw them waiting for me <laughs> and I, you know, I'm little five, four, you know, 110 pounds. And they're like, you know, can you please come with me? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I had that, that revelation that something must have happened because I was a blackout drinker. Something happened in this blackout this time that was not going to let me off the hook. So I just was like, no, and going, and you really can't do that to these, you know, these wonderful at an airport, at an airport after September, after September 11th, 11th yeah. and with these wonderful state troopers that are just trying to do their job. And they, they, so they, you know, proceeded to say, you do need to come with me because something happened. And in that feeling of I'm about to lose everything because something must have happened as they placed their hand on me, little me, I don't know if I thought I was like 
jujitsu, but I did something that <laughs> broke the state troopers' glasses. And and I wrote, believe me, I I asked for forgiveness, and I I, I you know I apologized to them publicly. They were just trying to help me. Do you know? In the end, they were concerned about me. I my head was in such a bad space that. I thought plus you were intoxicated. Was intoxicated. So they were trying to help me <laughs> and because I, you know, did some jujitsu move. I was then arrested and, you know, I, I broke the, the glass, you know, and I was arrested and it was horrible. It was horrible. And it, of course, you know, I dreamed of making it to the top of a wonderful news organization and not being the lead story, but making everybody in the community you know, the lead story, what we did and these wonderful people that I've worked with in this wonderful organization. And instead I became the lead story, you know, that literally seconds after it, you know, because people love to bring you up. And then in, in the industry that we're in, they love to see, unfortunately go down if they don't understand recovery or they're not spiritual in any way. So I say this to say that God did for me what I could not do for myself. It was only going to happen. My recovery was only going to happen if I was publicly humiliated and shamed. And the sad part is because I thought I had everything because I had that big job and I made it everything. I didn't put God first. I made the job, the career, the money, everything I really believe that now I had lost it. So I had no reason to live. And I will say this, that I was so humiliated uh, publicly and I was only trying to hurt myself, but I could not find a reason to live. So I did uh, find my roommates pills and I did find the alcohol in the apartment and I did try to not be here anymore. I did not want to be here anymore. And that is a sad moment that that feeling of despair of it just it, it was the worst the worst feeling in the world um and i didn't expect to wake up and i woke up in mass general hospital on all these tubes and you know i thought to myself why am i even here but god decided you know your story hopefully if you do the next right thing and you come back and start believing you can live some kind of a life. He just, you know, that was a moment of hope. Now I will say that it wasn't easy after that. As you know, Sandy, I mean, I, I was in hiding. I mean, wherever I went, it was shameful. I got it. I got, was able to move back to Florida and I, I was able to get a job and stay sober for a little while, but I didn't work a program. I just said, I can do this. And then for some reason a press article came out again you know they found me and you know the article read something like you know we we found the you know the drunk blah 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 and i couldn't take it again i thought like i don't understand why they're writing about me i'm a nobody i'm just trying to stay sober but i i wasn't working the program so the embarrassment again was an excuse for me to do what i knew how to do best try to numb the pain again so that's what I did. And so I spent the next three years uh, getting arrested three times in three years, including Boston. And I say that to say I'm allergic to alcohol and I break out in handcuffs because 
Although it's, and places. It, although it's funny, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons I stay sober. I mean, I, God has decided, you know, I'll keep you alive and I'm going to keep guilty and to keep embarrassing you. So it took me a little bit, right. It took me a little bit. And then um, I had nothing really, truly had nothing. I knew I needed to stay alive, but I had no money. I was spiritually, physically, mentally broke. My family said, we're done. We've tried to be there for you. My twin brother said, Randy, I, I cannot, I can't watch you die. I can't, I can't do this. And you know, that I talk about powerful words, you know, like Randy helped me was these words that stayed in my head. And Jeffrey said, you will die. Those three words stayed in my head. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to die. So it propelled me to get on my hands and knees and call Hanley center and uh, the women's unit at Hanley in, in Palm beach and beg, beg them to take me in um, and work. I worked something out with them at the time. You know, I was willing to do whatever it took to get sober. And uh, January 25th, 2011 is when I got sober and you know, I checked into rehab and I had a great counselor. I shared a little room that, you know, I'm used to be remember big job. You have big, big things right now. I have nothing, a little room sharing a tiny space, like a little kitchen space with three young women who were so in such a, in such bad shape. And, you know, this nurturing part of me started in there. I felt like I needed to take care of them. I have to step up. And all of a sudden I became like a little bit of a, a little bit of a like a, a, a coach there, and I, I wanted to do great. I wanted to learn because they teach you the only option of because you're in leadership. Yeah. When you're in leadership, you want to lead. You want to lead, so, but I didn't. That's a natural. You're a natural born leader. Yeah, and I needed the tools, right? So they, they taught us the first three steps, um, and then I was scared to go in. But when I was ready to leave, I didn't want to leave. And I'm still friends with these girls to this day, and all of them stayed sober. By the way, so Randy, I have a question for you. When you were climbing your ladder. And you're, you had dreams and hopes. Um, and then but the pain of your mother's death and you never really, it, you didn't accept it. And so you chose, well, we started using, I don't know if it's a choice or not, but uh, you started to use and to numb the pain. How would you describe what alcohol drugs did for you? And then after it wore off, what did you face? Thank you for that question. Um, because it's, it's so important because we all have our reasons, right? So what the alcohol, and eventually you're right, eventually out for me, the alcohol did lead to other things. It was a gateway to anything and everything outside of myself that I thought I could bring into my body to, to, to make the pain go away. So what it did for me, was I immediately the very first drink or the very, you know, was, oh, it was like a, wait a second. I can pretend I became the great pretender. It was like, you know, like I was able to, I'm great. You good. 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 It was like, and I thought like, wow, I can fake this. I can tell everybody I'm good. And I was a happy drunk for a while. Right. It didn't last forever, but it worked. The alcohol, the feeling of being invincible. And it, 
it was able to just make me forget a little bit, or at least not think about the pain, but pretend I was okay. It sort of, it sort of, uh, it numbed the ultimate wound. And because it's only a numbing agent, you know, and it made me feel a certain way, it, it only was going to last a little bit of a time. So my problem was that I was chasing that very first numb pretender feeling. And then I said, oh, I found another way to get it again. Have a little bit more. Have a little bit more. Oh, and maybe I'll try that drug or whatever it was. I'll try anything because a little bit more seemed to help me out for a look for an extended period of time. Right. So then it became a lot more. And unfortunately, finding other drugs that extend uh, the time life of that was didn't serve me. I mean, I thought it served me at the time, but it extended the, the, the many years of, of abuse to, to my body. What did it feel like when I came down from it? Horrible. Horrible. Because two things happened. Either I blacked out and couldn't remember anything and was wondering when I woke up, like, okay, like, uh, you know, if I was in like a house in the Hamptons with my friends or I was somewhere and when I was, you know, not knowing what went on, I was sort of getting these looks in the morning, like from people in your that you're sharing some space with or family. And I I was I remember feeling, oh, my God, oh, my God, like I need a drink. I need a drink. Like I must have done something and no one's saying anything that feeling until somebody finally tells you. But, you know, I started to lose people that. You know, too, because, you know, it was just too many. And I, how did it feel when I had a physical bruise from it? Sometimes I fell down and I didn't remember falling down, whether it was on my way to the bathroom at night or, and I would wake up with these bruises. So it felt terrible. But I went back again when I needed to. Not obviously, you know, or I went back on the weekend because the forgetter button happened. Ah. I like the forgetter button. <laughs> Oh, oh, my that. God, that forgetter button caused me a lot of problems. So, you know, the alcohol yeah. is a depressant and why it took me up and it took me down. And so, you know, I, I that that really is how it made me feel. I mean, it was oh, and it took you all the way down, all the all way, the way down everything. to. Yes, I did. I lost. Yeah, I lost everything. I lost everything. Yeah. So, yeah. So. We're going to, we're running out of time. Um, there's going to be a part two to this. And I want to thank my friend, Randy Gold, very much. Please stay tuned or tune back in, however we word that, for the second part of Randy's trajectory, which is from the bottom back to the top. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing's going to hold me down.